So, as I was saying, is that this message series, Evidence, it was based out of a thought I had for a previous message in the Habits message series, which we did months and months and months ago, of this concept of, of cultivating evidence that we are who God says we are. And I, the more I begin to dive into that, I realize that in this 1825 demographic, we are desperate for evidence to be able to believe the Word of God and what He has spoken over us, what He has declared over us, that we can actually trust God and trust His Word, but we need evidence because questions are something that plague us. Questions are something that we are we're seeking answers for, and we need proof. We need to be able to understand. We need to be able to trust. And so this message series is really dedicated to discovering the necessary truths for winning the trials in your mind. This, the, the next three weeks are dedicated to giving you tools, to giving you evidence that when the enemy and when uh, opposition comes your way and there's a trial taking place in your mind and you're debating what is right and what is wrong, what is true, what is false, what is God's will, what is not his will, that we want to give you ways of discerning what is the evidence that puts you in alignment with God's will for your life. Are, are any of you excited for this message series right now? Like I said, I'm on another level tonight, and I might get a little preachy, I might get a little teachy, I don't know, but what I need to know is that you're going to match my energy. So one of the things, one of the things, if I say something, and you're like, man, I didn't have time to write that down in my notes, and you say, say that again, I will gladly say it again, but I can't say it again if you whisper, hey, say it again. Be like, I say that again, I will say it again. But the reality is I want you to get your notes out, get your Bible out, get, get anything ready. Get your notes, get your note app ready on your phone. If you've got an Android, I don't know what app takes notes on that. Maybe it's called notes or maybe a nerdier word for that. I don't know what it is. Um, what? Subliminal shot. That was very direct. I didn't, it was very, no, no subliminal to that. But evidence. This message series is going to be built off of one passage, and then from this passage, we're going to be exploring, we're going to be investigating, we will be thoroughly looking through scripture to find evidence. See, I believe any good investigator leaves no stone unturned, and I think through this message tonight, we're going to be flipping over every stone, we're going to be looking underneath every rock for evidence that what God says is true, and I want to make sure that in his word, just for everyone in here, we, as 1825, believe unashamedly that the Word of God is the irrevocable truth for all of humanity and for all of mankind. And so I study the Word of God in hopes to teach what I believe to be the unequivocal truth for all of humanity. And if you don't believe that, hopefully by tonight I can convince you a little bit. And if you don't, we can have a conversation. I'm not here to try to... Uh, say that you have to believe my way or you're, you don't belong here. I've already said this. You don't have to believe to belong. You don't have to behave to belong. Just be here. You belong. You deserve to be here just as much as anyone else. So jumping in, we're going to start at Hebrews chapter 11, verses 1 through 3. If you don't have a Bible app, if you don't have a Bible in your hand, don't worry. We've got screens to give you the passage. Starting at verse 1. Now faith, go ahead and say faith, faith. brings our hopes into reality and becomes the foundation needed to acquire the things that we long for. It's all the evidence, say evidence, evidence. required to prove what is still unseen. If you've got a highlighter, if you've got a pen, I want you to circle that, dot that, to prove what is still unseen. Evidence is required to prove what is still unseen. This testimony of faith is what previous generations were commended for. Faith, say it again, say faith, faith. empowers us to see 
Faith empowers you to see. It gives you a new lens. It gives you a new perspective. It changes your paradigm of thought. It empowers us to see what the universe, that the universe was created and beautifully coordinated by the power of God's words. He spoke, and the invisible realm gave birth to all that is seen. There are two words I've got to highlight in this passage for us to be able to get proper bearings and proper coordinates for where we're going for the rest of this message. The first word is evidence. See, what you've got to understand about the word evidence, it is actually defined as this. The available body of facts or information indicating whether a belief or a proposition is true or valid. It's information given personally, drawn from a document, which we have the Bible. That's the document we're going to be drawing from personally is your experience. Or in the form of material objects tending or, or used to establish facts in a legal investigation or admissible as testimony in court. It actually derives from the Latin word evidentia, which means it's obvious to the mind and to the eye. So tonight, you see these boxes up here. We are wanting to discover evidence like a court case. This entire message series is dedicated to how we're going to put our thoughts on trial. We're going to go through truths and try to understand how is it we can win these trials of faith in our life. The next word I want us to highlight is the word faith. Faith is this. It is complete trust or confidence in someone or something. Complete, total, 100%. Trust or confidence. So we've got to have 100% confidence and trust in God that brings our hopes into reality and becomes the foundation needed to acquire the things we long for. It is the evidence. It is the tangible proof that God is real. So that faith produces evidence and the evidence produces faith. It's this reciprocal thing that God has given us that faith produces evidence and then this evidence develops my faith. God has, he's a genius of how he's engineered this. So I want to make sure that you guys are following along. So this passage, we've got to understand if we're going to embark on discovering evidence and we're in a court case, one of the things we have to be aware of is what's our defense? I feel like I have a piece of corn in my teeth. I hate that. Yeah, I went there. I don't care. I'm real. That's what we do we got to know how to defend ourselves, especially in any court case. You just can't have any schmuck off the street defending you. You've got to know who is your litigator, who is your advocate, who is defending you. Have any of you ever been caught red-handed doing something you know you shouldn't have done? Have any of you ever been caught doing something and there was evidence that you did it? You left things behind. There were breadcrumbs or there was some sort of remnant that you were there. Uh, let me tell you a story. So when I was a youth pastor in Colorado, I had a really, 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 really good friend of mine, and he was crazy, musically gifted, great graphic designer. He's just, he's, he's a creative genius. I love this guy so much, and we had a ton of great conversations. And he was, uh, at this time, my worship leader for the team as well, for the youth ministry. And we were embarking on our summer camp. And if you know anything about summer camp, if you've ever been to a summer camp or a summer retreat, anyone go to the 1825 summer retreats? Okay, that's what I'm talking about. You know when you get there, you're just on a different level. You're on a different vibe. You just, it's kind of like the crazier the better. You just get more extreme. You pick out crazy outfits. You wear different colors. And you just, you just act different because you just don't care. You're like, I'm just happy to be here. And so as we get closer to this summer camp, he and I just start letting down our defenses a little bit. We just start acting a little bit more free. We start being a little bit more, you know, 
we move from pastor to uh, employee to, to just straight friends, straight buddies. And so we decided we need to get some more items for the summer camp. We needed to get a, 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 a we needed to get a, like a, a flamingo that floats in the pool. We needed to get some flashlights. We needed to get some things to make s'mores. Just stuff that you do at summer camp. So we're like, what place has all of these things? Walmart, of course. So we go to Walmart to get all of these random items that we need. And we start getting them. And then we go into the men's department because that's where you find some of the dopest swag is in Walmart's men's department. They got some of the coolest trucker hats. They got some of the most random T-shirts you could imagine. And so we're looking through there. And we're just walking along, having a conversation, bantering back and forth, laughing about things, having conversation. And then as I'm looking at this NASCAR shirt in Walmart, yes, NASCAR, we know that it is in almost every Walmart across the country Looking at it, I'm like, oh, man, I, like, I think this is funny. I think I might get this shirt. And I go to look over my shoulder because he's standing directly behind me. And I catch him doing one of the most gut-wrenching, disgusting things you can ever catch another adult doing in public. Yeah. Yes, this, is, this really happened, what I'm about to share with you. Like I said, summer camp's coming. He's letting his guards down. He's just getting a little weird. I don't know what's happening. And this is what I find. This is what I catch him doing, Okay. Some of you may have seen one of your friends do this. Maybe you got caught doing this. I don't know. But maybe we, we've all known someone or somebody that's done this. This is what I caught him doing when I looked over my shoulder. It was, it was this motion. If this room didn't see it, I'll replay it for you. He did the descending motion from his nostril to his mouth. So he went, he was digging and retrieving. And I caught him before he made the deposit. Like, I caught him. And no joke, no joke, he, he just froze like a deer in headlights. He did not know what to do. And he just, and then I look at him. Bro, you're going to eat that. And he just goes, you caught me. That's all he said. Like, he was like, I can't, I can't get out of this. You got me. Like, I knew what you were doing. Like, there's no, you weren't, like, going to go, like, you, were, you can't save that. Because the, the way that I knew you couldn't save it, because your mouth was open. Like, you were like. Like, no one scratches their nose and he's like. Like, that just doesn't happen. And I caught him red-handed, and he had no defense. He has no defense for it. He's like, you got me, you got me. And what's funny about that is that in our Christian faith, a lot of times you don't have a defense because you are guilty. You were caught red-handed, and you need someone to plead your case. And so tonight's message is dedicated to who is your advocate? Are you trying to constantly defend yourself and fight your own battles, or do you have someone or somebody like the name of Jesus in your life that's fighting your battles for you. Because only he can take what the devil meant for evil and turn it for good. Only he can take what the devil meant for evil and turn it for your good. And here, maybe some of you in your room, you're like, man, I never got caught red-handed picking my nose and eating it, Blake. That, that never happened to me. But Romans 3.23 does say this, for all have sinned and fallen short of the love of God. For all have created an eternal moral crime against God 
and all are guilty, and all will have to give an account and a defense for that on judgment day. And the reality is most of you are fighting these battles now. You are having these trials in your mind now because you did have that act. You did have that person offend you. These things did happen, and you have never been able to get past these trials. It seems like the litigations just keep going on and on in your mind because you've been trying to figure out the solution on your own. But Jesus, the advocate, is saying, let me defend you. Let me give you my truths. Let me give you my power. Let me give you my purpose. Let me give you my presence. So you've got to ask yourself, who is defending you? Well, 1 John 2, verses 1 and 2 says this. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin, so that you will not create moral crimes. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate. We have a hotline that you can call. We have that infomercial popping up every five seconds telling you you need to call this number with the Father Jesus Christ the righteous one. That's on his business card. That's his law firm tagline. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world, for all of humanity. And then the next passage, we're going to go to the book of John, and it says this, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you Forever. Look at that. He, an advocate to what? I, I need y'all to match my energy. I need y'all to match my energy. He will give you another advocate to? And be with you forever. The spirit of, let me hear you say the word truth. The spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him for he lives with you and he will be in you. See, what you've got to understand about your advocate is that we have got the best law firm money could ever buy. That if you have given your life to Jesus, he is fighting your battles, he is litigating for you. Scripture says he is advocating for you to the Father himself. So if I, if I could try to paint a picture for you, if I could try to make Jesus a tangible lawyer and defendant, he, he's the most charismatic. He's the most well-spoken. He's the most authoritative and articulate lawyer you could ever employ you know Jesus like when he walks into the courtroom the gallery begins to whisper because they've heard all the accolades and the accomplishments that this man has had all the cases that he has fought and he has won because he's never lost one he's never lost one not only does his resume speak for himself but his reputation precedes him because they realize he never asked for a single penny from his clients in fact he says, I'm going to bankrupt my resources to defend you. I'm going to pay for your defense. And not only that, he's got another bro with him. It's called the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit, I like to call him like the private eye of the law firm. He's able to get to the truth of every issue and every matter. He's able to get the evidence necessary and to get the confessions needed to bring truth out. See, what I love about the Holy Spirit, he's got this prowess of being able to discover things that the human eye can't see. It says right here, the world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But we know him, and he's operating undercover for us to get the truth out for our favor. Are you guys with me right now? This is who we have on our side. This is who we have advocating for us. So we've got to understand, who is our advocate? 
But we also need to know who is our prosecutor. Who's your prosecutor? Because we know that we have an enemy. We, we can address the blatant, obvious one, that we have an enemy, the devil. And uh, let, let's just go ahead and go through some of the titles for, the, for, for, for our prosecutor. See, what you've got to understand about the prosecutor that's against us in life, the devil, the enemy. And yes, I'm not speaking about Lord of the Rings. Scripture is very explicit that there is holiness and there is evil. That there is Jesus, the Son of God, and there is Lucifer, the enemy of all humanity, waging war. So what you've got to understand about the devil is that he doesn't play by the rules. All he looks to do is get a notch into his belt and to cause as much suffering and problems and pain for anyone that's on the opposite side of the courtroom from him. And he doesn't play fair. And his reputation precedes him as well. And in the gallery, when he walks into the courtroom, people know all of his accolades. They know all of the names that he goes by. Let me give you some of them. Some of them, he, he's known as Lucifer. You might have heard that before. What you need to know about the name Lucifer, it actually means light bearer. Because some of you might not have known this, but Jesus or Lucifer was in heaven at one time. And he was leading worship in heaven. And he was a light bearer. See, here's what you've got to understand. He was bearing the light. In other words, Scripture says that Jesus is the light of the world, that he was bearing the, the presence of Jesus, but he could never be the presence. He, and he wanted to be the light, not bear it. That was the downfall for him, that he wanted all the reputation. He didn't want to bear the light. He didn't want to serve the light. He wanted to be the light. But he could never be that. The devil means slanderer. Uh, the, the devil is another word that he's known by. It's slanderer. And he, he slandered God and humanity in the Garden of Eden. He's known as the accuser, hurling distractions and stumbling blocks that drain energy and resources from the children of God. He's known as the tempter, provoking the worst out of people. Beelzebub, which the, it, the translation means either Lord of the Flies or Lord of Dung. And you're like, oh, well, that's just gross. Why, that, that, that's how low he is. Yeah, that's one of the reasons why he's called that. But being the Lord of Dung means he doesn't, there's nothing that he's not willing to go through to hurt you. That he's willing to get his hands dirty to offend you, to affect you. And he doesn't care what casualties come from it. All he wants to do is inflict problems and pain into your life. He's known as the evil one, enemy, father of lies, murderer, adversary, deceiver of the whole world, and accuser of God's people. That's the resume of who is on the other side of the courtroom in your mind. And then we get the chance to choose which side of this courtroom will we align ourselves with. Which one of these lawyers are we going to submit our case to? Because you can choose. You can choose the advocate or the prosecutor. In every trial in your mind, you can choose. See, the devil, one of his main tactics in any trial, and you've maybe seen it. If any of you have ever watched any sort of documentary that is based on a court case or in, a, in the proceedings of a trial, what every lawyer tries to do is hit them with the shock and awe moment. I don't know if you've ever noticed this in any of these trial documentaries, but they try to have this evidence and they have a witness connected to it or they did a DNA test and, the, and, their, and their scientists found something different than the other side's scientists found and they're looking to present this at just the right time so that the other team would be off balance and not prepared to rebuttal what was just presented. Are you guys tracking with me? So what the enemy likes to do, he likes to throw subtle 
changes and nuances at us that shock us, that we were like, we weren't ready for that. We weren't ready for that to be revealed. We weren't ready for someone to gossip about that behind our back. We weren't ready for that to be exposed. We didn't know that they had that information. We didn't know that that happened. And what that begins to do, it begins to sway us out of feeling innocent to being guilty. I don't know if you know this, but in the United States of America, every one of you is innocent until proven guilty. And so what this begins to do, that he presents subtleties to this evidence, it makes us think that we're, uh, we're, not, we're not who God says we are because he just presented this, this, this new evidence that I wasn't ready for. And you know what I've also found in court trials is that they will always try to find any lawyer, any team, or anyone that's affiliated with the crime, they will try to identify what you value. Because what they've realized in our culture is that truth is subjective to what we value. What do I mean? Truth is subjective to what we value. And here's what I mean by that. Have you ever seen a court case where someone is an eyewitness testimony to a significant crime? Anyone ever, show of hands, anyone ever seen a documentary, heard about this? So three of you. So this will resonate with three of you. This is great. Um, but what I found, even in a movie, they, they play this. Like if the mob's affiliated, or it's a gang-affiliated crime. There's a witness, there's, a, there's someone that can testify, I saw that person commit this crime, and they're guilty. What they will do, they will find that testimony. That's why they put them into witness protection programs, because what will happen, the opposite side will try to find what they value and leverage it against the witness to keep them from testifying. So what they do, they identify, well, they're married, or they have a mother that's sick, or they have children, and they find a way of leveraging, taking a picture of that person or of that loved one, they say, if you testify, we will kill this individual. We will hurt this individual. If you testify, then all of a sudden what happens, truth is no longer the priority. What they value is. What they value becomes the priority. Because what is truth is that they need to testify and speak it out no matter what the situation. They need to be able to stand on it even though something that they value might suffer a consequence from that truth. So what happens, you're saying, Blake, I don't have any loved ones on trial for my faith. No, 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 no. But here's, maybe, maybe God's telling you, you need to stop dating that person because they're not good for you. You know that that is true, but because you value the affections and the affirmation of that person, that truth now gets suppressed and you start pursuing what you value instead of what is true. How about this one? You got a scholarship to play a sport that you care for a lot, that you've invested in a lot. A lot of blood, sweat, tears, time. You've done all the reps. You've ran all the routes. You've shot all the shots. Then God moved in your life and he says, I want you to be a missionary. I want you to be on my team. And you know it's true because as loud and as audible as I'm talking to you, the voice of God spoke to you. And you say, oh, God, that's so true, and I need to do that. And what I've seen over time, what we value begins to suppress the truth that we just heard. And we'd rather pursue a scholarship on a secular team than be on God's team. Yeah. And you're saying, Blake, I can play basketball and do all this. Yes, you can if that's what God's called you to do. 
Because if you're not going to do it, guess what's going to happen? A constant trial of guilt will be in your mind for the rest of your life. And regret will haunt you everywhere that you go because you were disobedient to the truth. And what will happen if you do it then, you'll do it now. You've created the habit of making truth subjective to what you value. But you know what God's called us to as Christians? What we value is subjective to the truth. I'm going to... What you value needs to be subjective to the truth. Because if you have anything on trial and the enemy can exploit what you value, you will, lead, you will leave the side of the defendant and the advocate, Jesus Christ, to go over to the appeal and the alert of the enemy trying to persuade the verdict in his favor. Because he doesn't care for you to fulfill purpose. He just wants you to be a victim of his plan. So you've got to ask yourself, what is it that you value in your life that you make the truth subjective to? Who is the person? What is the thing? What is the issue? What is the circumstance that you value that you're willing to distort the truth to make it something you're more conscientious and, and you feel better about yourself in order to have it? You know what I found? That you can abandon God's will to get whatever it is that you want in life. You know what the problem is? You have to stay out of it to keep it. You've got to stay out of God's will to keep it. Which side are you on? Because you have got to choose, am I going to choose the advocate, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit? Or am I going to go over to the prosecuting side that's going to try to manipulate what I value to distort the truth? Genesis 50, 20, oh, sorry, I'm getting ahead of myself. I'm getting so pumped. And here's what I love about our defense team. This is what I love about Jesus. This is what I love about the Holy Spirit. Jesus is never shocked by the strategies of the devil. He's never blown away by any evidence or proof that the devil presents. Most of us think that God is this lawyer Buried underneath all these documents of all the world, trying to figure out how to make everything in order. And, he, and then when the enemy presents a new case of evidence, he's like, oh my gosh, I don't know what to do with this. Uh, devil, you got me on that one. That was, you were sly. Man, we got to go back to the war room and figure out how we're going to respond to this. No. God knew it. And here's what I love. God is fully aware and fully informed of every tactic that the devil tries to use against us. And here's what I also love. The devil is oblivious to the strategy and the genius of Jesus. I told you, I'm on one. I'm on one. The devil is oblivious to the strategy and the genius of Jesus. He has no clue. He thinks that he's working it out in his favor, but realizing he's actually creating his own demise. How do I know? We can go to Genesis chapter 50, verse 20. And here we find Joseph declaring to his family that sold him into slavery. He began to suffer the consequence of being lied about and put in prison. And all of these things begin to happen in his life of negative effect. And this is what he responds to his family. He said, you intended to harm me. 
but God. But God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. Romans 8, 28, my life verse. For God works all things together for good for those that love him and are called according to his purpose. The devil thinks that he's this really savvy, cool guy, and he's going to dupe you and persuade you. But when you've got the advocate, Jesus, on your side, and the Holy Spirit, the private investigator, oh, did I mention this? You know who the judge of this case actually is? I don't know if you know there's a trinity involved with our Savior. There's God, the Father, that is the judge. So I want you to know that every case and every trial that's happening in your mind is stacked in your favor. You've got a God the Father that is the judge that he wants to rule in your favor. We've got the most persuasive person in the courtroom, the son of the judge, sitting next to him, petitioning for you. Then we've got the Holy Spirit laying out all the evidence that the devil meant for evil. It's turning out to be something that benefits you. This isn't new news. This isn't like, hey, you've got to check this out. You want to know how I know that God is so genius and so profound, and he's five steps, ten steps, so far beyond the devil's schemes and the plots of what he has? Just look at the cross. Just look at the cross. The backbone of our faith, the pendant that hangs off that necklace, is a reminder to the stupidity of the devil. How is that? Well, let me tell you. Jesus comes and he declares, I am the Messiah, I am the Son of God. He then validates that claim by signs and wonders. He walks on water, he feeds thousands, he resurrects the dead, he opens blind eyes. He does it all. Okay? He validates it. He gets identified. All the hordes of, devil, all the hordes of hell identify that he is the Son of God. We've got to create a demise for him. Just so you guys know this. God even told the devil that this was going to happen. If you read through the Old Testament, there's a thing called prophecy. I don't, it might be a biblical term for some of you. It might be a little of a relic. But what prophecy is, it is the foretelling of something that's going to happen. So God not only told that to humanity, but the devil could read the same Bible. He's not illiterate. I just want you guys to know that. It's not like the Bible is written in a hidden, hidden language that the devil doesn't know how to read. He could read the very same passages that you and I read. And it was saying that the Son of Man will be, he will have chastisement will be laid upon him that brings peace to us. By his stripes we will be healed, that he will be dead, he will be resurrected. All these things were going to happen. And even with that being said and being spoken, the devil still went ahead with this plan of trying to crucify the Son of God. He got everyone to, instead of freeing Jesus, they freed Barabbas. And he made sure that Judas betrayed him, and he made sure that all these things happened in place so that, Jesus would be crucified. Jesus is crucified. And in that moment, everyone, I can only imagine Lucifer around hanging, hanging in, in, in the war room with his other little demon just laughing. Like, ha, we got him. We thwarted God's plan. Oh, he thought he was going to save the world through Jesus. And we just totally ruined that, didn't we? And then Jesus breathes his last breath and he says, it is finished. And then I, I could almost hear at the same time just demons just popping champagne in the room. Boop, boop. Guys, he's dead. Let's get out all of the little, uh, let's get the noisemakers. Let's, 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 let's just have the most hedonistic party ever. Let's just be crazy. 
Coachella has nothing on this. Let's go. But then three days later, the very same, the nails that they were driving into the hands of Jesus, the devil thought was going to be the closure to God's redemptive plan was actually the nails in the, de- the, nails in the devil's own coffin. That God takes the enemy's plans, turns them on their own head to make it beneficial for you. That the negative heartache, brokenness, and tragedies that you've experienced, is that God's perfect will? No. But he's able to be so triumphant over the brokenness of this world and over the enemy's plans is that he can take that pain and turn it into a promise that becomes a platform for you to change people's lives. I don't even know what I just said, so you're going to have to. Here's how I want to show you this illustration. How do I know? Most of you might have been informed or aware there was a case that happened quite some time ago. It was the O.J. Simpson case. Don't worry, boo. We ain't going there. We're going somewhere else. Don't worry. But in this case... It was in the tabloids, it was on the news, it was highly publicized that this was a double murder case with an African-American athlete that was highly celebrated and idolized in in, in the culture. And in this specific case, evidence was beginning to point towards one suspect, O.J. Simpson. That he was the one that killed him. He was the one that committed the crime. He did this, he did this, he did this. And through all the proceedings, there was this back and forth battle. And what you've got to understand that O.J. Simpson had the best law team, legal team that money could possibly buy. And so the prosecuting side, they were trying to figure out what evidence can we have that's going to like seal the deal in this case. And they begin to turn over everything they possibly could to solidify their accusations against OJ. And this specific case, there was a thing that actually turned the tide of this entire case. One piece of evidence that the prosecuting team thought was going to be the nail in OJ's coffin. We're going to present this. The jury is going to be just blown away by how accurate this evidence is and how damning this evidence actually is that he will be considered and proven to be the murderer that we've been telling them that he is. So they presented a glove. And this glove had DNA attached to it of the victims, and it even had a hair in it that was similar to the hair of OJ's. And they said, we're going to present this glove because we found another glove that matched it in OJ's white Bronco. And this will just put the pieces together that if we found this glove at the crime scene and we found this other glove in his Bronco, then it's slam the door, case over, done. We won. And they go, here's what we want him to do. Just to make it humiliating and embarrassing to his defense team that we got them, We're going to have him put the glove on in court. We're going to have him put the glove on. And so the defense comes up. They present the evidence. We believe that this is the glove that O.J. Simpson wore when he took the lives of these two individuals. And one of the ways we want to prove that is that we want O.J. to come over here and try the glove on. 
And then the defense team, they tried to object, dismissed. They let it happen. OJ walks over to the glove, and he tries to put it on. He's, he's trying, because they said that this was his glove, and so he's trying to prove to them, like, okay, if it is, then, then, then it should fit. And then he turns his hand around. What's the issue? I need y'all to match my energy. What's the issue? It what? It doesn't fit. It doesn't fit. Okay? So then in that point, that's when the famous line was coined by Johnny Cochran himself. He says, if the glove doesn't fit. Okay, five of you knew that. So if it doesn't fit. You must acquit. In other words, this case has to be dismissed because their most valid piece of evidence discredit that he was even there because the glove doesn't fit. He could have never worn it. It's not him. And you know what I found is the enemy tries to do the exact same thing to you. He tried to do the exact same thing to Jesus. He tried to put him on a cross and kill him. But how many of you know you cannot put death on somebody that's infinite? It doesn't fit. I'll preach to this side. You can't put someone in a grave that's eternal. You can't kill them. It doesn't happen. And here's another thing. You cannot put insecurity on someone that has purpose. It doesn't fit. So stop trying to let it fit. You were made for purpose. You are made with God's presence in mind. Stop trying to fit your life into something you were never meant to have. Why does insecurity feel so uncomfortable? Because you weren't meant to wear it. Why does insecurity feel so uncomfortable? Because it doesn't fit. It doesn't fit you. You weren't meant to wear it. Why is fear so uncomfortable? It don't fit. It don't fit. But we spend so much of our lives. We spend so much of our lives ignoring God ignoring Jesus, ignoring the advocate, saying that's not for you. He's not for you. That's not for you. But he said, she said, it don't fit. Behold, I have plans for you, says the Lord, to prosper you. Peace was meant to be the nail in his coffin. Is <laughs> actually what turned the tide of the case itself. Because God turned what the devil meant for evil into good. But here's what I found. Concealed information can corrupt your case. What do I mean? Jesus cannot advocate for something you won't communicate. Say that again. Jesus cannot advocate something you are not willing to communicate. 
Why? 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 Because he's not a killjoy God. He has given you a free will. And with any case, with any lawyer, with a client, the client has supreme rule on how this case will go. That the client can dictate to the lawyer what can be shared and what can't be shared. That the client can actually determine the verdict and the outcome by choosing what to divulge and what not to share. Scripture says that we are to confess our sins, confess our moral crimes so that God can restore us, so that we can be healed. Scripture then also says to bring every thought captive. I love this. Go bring this passage up. 2 Corinthians. Come on, come on, come on. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. He's saying, give me your insecurities. Give me that moral failure. Give me that tragedy because I'm here to demolish every argument and pretension that sets itself up against my plan for your life. And I want to take that brokenness. I want to take that burden. I want to take that pain. And I'm going to make it something that makes a miracle out of your life. That's who I am. I am a way maker. I'm a miracle worker. I'm a light in the darkness. That's who I am. Y'all need to match my energy. And here's what I love. In the courtroom of our mind, there's accusation. But in Jesus, there's no condemnation. There's accusation. You know what an accusation is? That just means I accuse you. That there's no evidence to it. I'm just out here accusing you. I can accuse any of you of anything. There's no legal charges. And what he says, you can accuse. You can even try to bring legal charges. But guess what? There's no condemnation. That you will not be found guilty. Why? Because Jesus, our advocate, has already suffered the consequence. trying to make you suffer something that Jesus already did scripture says that the anxiety that you feel was already placed on Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane and he suffered that so that you could be free from it you know the criticisms that you place on yourself and the insecure titles you place on yourself scripture says the chastisement the humiliation the insecurities were placed on Jesus so that you didn't have to deal with it you know that Jesus was stripped naked, laughed at, ridiculed, and insulted in the streets, laid bare so that you wouldn't have to be. Scripture also says that Jesus is not a distant God. He's a God that's intimate with the struggles of humanity. That he is a God that's well acquainted with your griefs and with your sorrows. That's what makes him the most valid advocate to God is that I know their struggles, God. I know their flesh. I know the tendencies. And I know the sin that is in front of them. Have mercy. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. But we, we can't conceal any information. We've got to divulge everything that is 
a part of the case. So if you did make that mistake, confess it. If that tragedy did happen, confess it. If that issue did take place, confess it. Because he can only advocate what you communicate. And we expect God just to make miracles happen out of something we're not willing to give him. But we've got to give it all. You're going to lose the trials in your mind if you do not resign to his authority in the case. He knows the way. He knows the truth. Scripture says he is the way and the... He's the way and the... Say it so the people in the back can hear it. The way and the... So we will not subject the truth to what we value. We will subject what we value to the truth because only then can we win the trials in our mind. Are you with me, Bayside 1825? Like I said, I'm turning over every rock tonight to give you evidence. And one of my other favorite passages is this. What the devil meant for evil. Mm. Isaiah 54, 17. No weapon formed against you will prevail. Any piece of evidence, any failure, any regret, and guess what? You will refute every tongue that accuses you. You will. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord. And this, this is what I love. This is their vindication from me, declares the Lord. In other words, he lets you have the authority to be more than a conqueror through Christ Jesus. He's given you the authority to refute every tongue that accuses you. That's your inheritance. That's your heritage. To take authority over those accusations, over that hurtful situation, over that broken relationship. You have the authority that it will not prevail against you. I'm done preaching. Don't worry. We've got two more weeks. But there's two people in this room tonight that I want to address. And I'm going to talk to those two people after we pray and after we sing this song. Maybe when we, before we get to the bridge, Jace, I want to come back up and share. So if this message has resonated with you in any way, just close your eyes and bow your head. God, I can, I can prepare. I can plan. I can have illustrations. But only you can change lives. So God, I pray that you take this broken man and these simple words, and I pray that your kingdom and your Holy Spirit move in this room right now. And what the devil meant for evil, God, you are going to turn for our good. You're going to turn for our good. Actually, Jason, we'll switch this up. If you're in this room tonight, saying, Blake, I've never had the advocate on my side. I've never trusted Jesus with my life. I've never trusted him with my insecurities. I never trusted him with my confidential information. I've never let him into the broken areas of my life to defend me. I've never accepted him as the Lord and the Savior of my life. We can bring these lights up a little bit more. With every head bowed and every eye closed. And you're saying, Blake, I want to give my life to Jesus tonight. I want to give my mind to Jesus tonight. I want to give my future to Jesus tonight and watch him do imagine, watch him do more than, than I could ever imagine or think. If that's you, 
On the count of three, I just want you to lift your hands because I believe the Holy Spirit is in this room. I believe he's turning over rocks in your life and you're beginning to feel something different. And if that's you, I'm going to count to three. Just raise your hand. Prayer team, be ready. One, two, three. Lift your hand if that's you and you want to give your life radically to God. Just raise your hand. I see hands in the back. I see one here. I see two over there. Come on, come on. I see another one right here. Right over there, right over there, right over there. Prayer team, prayer team, prayer team. Where are you at? Prayer team, prayer team, prayer team. Now I need everyone to stand up. And if you raise your hand, prayer partners, go to the sides, come to the front of the stage. If you raise your hand, I want you to move. I want you to move. Because guess what? Here's the next challenge. If you're in this room right now, and you've been trying to fight your own battles. You've been trying to plead your own case. You're saying, I need to resign to the authority of Jesus. I need to give my case to him. I need to let him be my advocate and stop trying to fight my own fights. I want to give it to Jesus. If that's you, if you're a Christian in this room, you've been trying to do this on your own. And as Paul said to the Galatians, oh, you foolish Galatians, what God started in the spirit, you tried to finish in the flesh. And he's saying, stop, give it to me. I've got you. And if that's you, as the band begins to play, you begin to move. If you want to give your life to Jesus, as the band begins to play, you begin to move. If you want to give Jesus all authority in the trial in your mind, then you need to move. Bayside College, come on. Or Bayside 1825, come on.